Let's just start with verse 8. Actually, I'm sorry, verse 7. And oh, you can see on the screen, part 1 was last night. This is a four-part series. Last night I talked about identifying the bloody woman. We went through verses 1 to 6 and other verses and identified that mysterious lady that is riding the seven-headed, ten-horned beast in Revelation chapter 17. And now it is time for part two. By the grace of God, with the Lord's help, I want to try to hopefully identify uh, who is that seven-headed, ten-horned beast in chapter 17. So let's pray and let's ask for the Lord to help us, to help me. I'm excited about the chance to be here. I've done a lot of research on this topic and this is my opportunity to share this with you. Dear God in heaven, please be with us. What a privilege it is to live in these, in these momentous times. And this is the time when you are shining light on your word in these last days to help us to have a clearer understanding of the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation and what's happening in the world and what's coming so we can, we can be ready to stand for Jesus. And Lord, we just pray, please help, help me, help all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, are you ready for this? Ready for a journey? Here we go. Verse 7. Revelation 17, 7. And the angel said to me, Wherefore did you marvel? Or why were you amazed at what you've seen? I will tell you the mystery of the woman which we talked about last night, and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. This is a very mysterious topic. Now, the word mystery actually means hidden truth. It's a, it's a truth that has largely been hidden from the world but God wants the hidden truth to be revealed to his people, the mystery of the woman and of the beast. Now, let's uh, focus on the next verse. Verse 8, he talks about the beast. Verse 8 says, The beast that you saw was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. There you see the verse on the screen. Now, first point I want to make is that this beast goes through a series of phases. Okay, that's pretty clear, right? He has a was phase. He has an is not phase, which is at the point where the angel said he is not now, and yet he will ascend out of the bottomless pit, and he will go into perdition. So keep that in mind. We're talking about a beast that goes through phases. Uh, you know, we all go through phases in life, don't we? Uh, I, was, I, was, uh, I chuckled when Pastor Graham said a little while ago during his presentation, he said, I'm in the... I'm a, in the, you know, over three, three quarters of a century old, and I'm in the fossilized phase. <laughs> Did you catch that? <laughs> and I, I don't quite agree with him. I think he's still got a little more time. <laughs> but anyway, he's in the phase of his life. I'm in the phase of my life. You're in the phase of your life. And according to the Bible, the beast also goes through phases. Was phase, is not phase and then an ascend phase. And this is critical to understanding this text. Now, the next part of verse 8 also says that they that dwell upon the earth shall do what? They will wonder whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world 
when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now, it's very interesting. And I, I've told you this, that I've done a lot of study in this chapter. I've been studying Revelation 17 for approximately two years intensely. And I've been just wrestling with these things because I really want to understand this. And I believe we can understand this. Uh, I, I'm not planning on getting into speculation today and saying things that you're going to go, well, you know, I don't know about that. I don't want to do that. I want to present solid Bible information that you go, yeah, I can see that. I got that. Now, here's a very important point as we try to unravel these mysteries. And that is that Revelation uh, 17, verse 8, and maybe I'll, I think I've got another, oh, another little thing there. Right, the beast that was and is not and yet is. Revelation 17, verse 8, that we just read, that verse links us to another verse in chapter 13, verse 8. Have you noticed that? So turn in your Bibles, just turn back a little bit to 17, 8. And this is a very important link. You know, these days, links are important. You know, hyperlinks, uh, you send a link out of a, a video on YouTube or somewhere. A lot of us are dealing with technology and we deal with sharing links. Isn't that right? Well, there's a big link from 17.8 to 13.8. That's easy to remember. 17.8 to 13.8. And you'll see that it's just about identical. 13.8 says, All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb who has been slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. So do you see the parallel? See the connection? Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Sherlock Holmes. I think you have. Most of you have. He's a, he's, he's a fictitious figure in England, solves crimes, puts puzzles, pieces together, tries to find out who did it. And I, in my book, I uh, tell readers on this topic that we need to be a little bit like Sherlock Holmes. We need to put on our detective hats. We need to put the pieces together, put the clues together, from the Bible, so we can try to understand the mystery of who is this beast. Make sense? And clearly, 17.8 links us to 13.8. Now, in 13.8, when it talks about the whole world wondering uh, after this beast, in 13.8, it's actually a different beast. We have the beast in chapter 17 whose body is scarlet. He's a scarlet beast. But in chapter 13, this is a different beast that has a leopard-like body that everybody wonders after. So in, in uh, chapter 17, the whole world wonders after the scarlet beast, which links us back to chapter 13, where the whole world wonders after the leopard-like beast. Now, go back to chapter 13 and look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And this beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth was like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority." So this beast is similar in that it's got seven heads and ten horns, but it's a little bit different. And then if you look at verse 3, verse 3 says, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was what? Healed. And all the world did what? They wondered after the beast. So uh, the, the beast of chapter 17 has a was phase and is not phase and an ascend phase. Chapter 17 takes us back to chapter 13 
And the beast in chapter 13 that also has seven heads and ten horns, he has a, a phase where he rules, and then he gets wounded. That's his wound phase. And then the wound is healed. See that? So there's phases in chapter 17, and there's phases in chapter uh, 13. Following me so far? Now, you got to really put on your detective hats, because I tell you, this is, this is some real mysterious puzzle pieces. And I, and I believe God wants us to really look at this carefully and study this out to try to understand what these things are talking about. So we have to think closely. Back to chapter 17, look at verse 9. 17.9. We talked about this a little bit last night, and this verse is really the theme of this weekend. Uh, we just read verse 7, where the angel said, I'm going to tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast. Verse 8, we read about the beast that was and is not and will ascend in the whole world wondering. And then in verse 9, the angel said, here is the mind which has wisdom. We need wisdom to understand this. And then the angel said, the seven heads, seven heads on that beast are, and what does he say they are? They are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And last night I, I shared that uh, in my study of Revelation 17, I've developed a principle that I've come to believe in. There's the weight of evidence principle I talked about, and there's another principle called the symbol to literal principle. And we see this in many places in Daniel and Revelation. And I'm just going to go through these quickly. We're not going to look up all the texts. Uh, in Revelation 17, 15, we looked at this last night, that the water, which was the symbol that the woman sat on, the angel said, represents, the, the waters are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So symbol to literal principle. The principle is also in Daniel 2. And we're not going to read this, but I'll just uh, tell you, and you can read it when you have time. Daniel chapter 2 talks about King Nebuchadnezzar having a dream of four different metals. Remember that? The four metals. And those metals, Daniel then comes in before the king and he interprets those metals, metals to represent literal kingdoms. He said that the king, king Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. After you will come another kingdom and then another kingdom and then a fourth kingdom kingdom. So the symbol is then explained literally by Daniel the prophet. We find the same thing in Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel uh, in chapter 7, he dreams of four beasts. There's a lion, a bear, a leopard, and a dragon-like beast. And then in verse uh, 23, the angel said that the fourth beast is the fourth what? kingdom upon the earth. So symbol, literal. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom. The four metals are four kingdoms. The water represents the people in chapter 17. Uh, in, in Daniel chapter 8, we have the same thing, where Daniel sees, he sees a ram and he sees a goat. Remember that? And then what happens, the angel comes into the vision and he says that the ram, which is the symbol, it represents the kings of Media and Persia. Literal application. And then he said the goat, which is the symbol, represents the, uh, the kingdom of Greece. And the horn of the goat, in Daniel 8, the angel said, represents the first king. So you can see the principle, Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Revelation uh, 17. It's mentioned many, many times. I, again, I call it the symbol to literal principle. You following me? Not having confused you yet? Okay, so, so when we go to Revelation 17, verse 9, 17.9 says, Here is the mind which has wisdom, the seven heads, and that's the symbol, right, are, 
Here's the application. Seven mountains on which the woman sits. So based on that clear biblical principle that we see again and again and again, including in chapter 17, that the waters are the people, the multitudes, the nations, and the tongues, I see in verse 9 that the seven heads, which are the symbol, are the seven mountains. And I mentioned this last night that the the word mountain in Strong's Concordance, the Greek word, can also mean hills, that this is pointing to the seven-hilled city of Rome. Seven-hilled city of Rome. Now, here's a very important uh, truth, and that is that in the Bible, there are only three seven-headed, ten-horned beasts. There's three of them. And they're nowhere else in the Bible except for in the book of Revelation. There's three of them. And there you can see them on the screen. The first one is in Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, where there's a dragon with seven heads and ten horns. The second one is in chapter 13, verse 1. We already read that, where there is a leopard-like beast that has seven heads and ten horns. And then the third one is in chapter 17, verse 3, where there's a scarlet-colored beast that has seven heads and ten horns. Follow me? Now, I know this is, you know, this takes close thinking. Uh, This is not a sermon for couch potatoes. This is a sermon for people that are really willing to think and try to understand the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her. So we have three beasts, and they all have seven heads. And the way I understand chapter 17, pointing to the seven-hilled city of Rome, symbol to literal, I understand that all three of these beasts all sit on the city of seven hills. They all have seven heads. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, which means that they are all Roman. The three beasts are all distinctly Roman. Not only that, but I'm going to build my case that these three beasts each refer to a distinct phase of Rome. We're dealing with phases. Just like chapter 17 says he was, he is not, and yet he's going to ascend. We've got phases. It's the same thing when you look at all three of the beasts. You've got different phases of Rome sitting on the city of seven hills. Following me? And I'm going to prove this. I'm going to prove this. Let's go to chapter 12 and verse 3. And let's look at that first first beast. The dragon-like beast. There's actually a woman in verses uh, 1 and 2. This beautiful woman, she's clothed with the sun. She's uh, expecting a child. She's in pain to deliver her child. And then in verse 3, John says, There appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. And he had how many heads? Seven. And how many horns? Ten, and he also had seven crowns upon his heads, which I'm going to come back to in in just a bit. Now, if you look at verse 9, it tells us that the primary application of this dragon is the devil. He's the 
He's the primary dragon. Verse 9 says the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So I understand the primary dragon as being the devil. But here's another principle that I've discovered, and I call it the dual application principle. There are some times when there's a a double application. Now, we see this in in Matthew 24, when Jesus talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. There's a dual application to the end of the world. Uh, Just for the record, I, I never apply the principle of dual application to time prophecies. I don't do that. I don't see any evidence for that in Scripture. But I do see dual applications occurring in certain places. And I see this in chapter 12, that the seven-headed dragon primarily is the devil, but a secondary application is the Roman Empire at the time of John. And I see that because in verse 4, verse 4 anchors it in history. In verse 4, it says in the middle of the verse that the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, what nation was ruling at the time that Jesus was born? It was Rome. That's right. It was the Roman Empire. And verse 5 says, uh, she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So that's Jesus, clearly. He escaped the dragon, and he was taken up to heaven. His whole life is in those couple uh, words. Now, when Jesus was born, who was it that tried to kill him? It was King Herod, a Roman ruler. Satan worked through a Roman ruler to try to kill Jesus, and he sent soldiers to Bethlehem to wipe out all the children under two years old. Terrible thing. Awful thing. I can't even hardly imagine that. Satan used Roman soldiers to nail Jesus' hands and feet to the cross. Romans put a crown of thorns on his head. In early Christian history, Satan used Roman emperors like Nero, Decius, Diocletian to slaughter Christians in the first, second, and third centuries. So that's why the symbols merge. That's why Satan and the seven-headed, ten-horned beast sitting on the seven hills that was active in the time of, of John... That's why the dragon represents Satan and imperial Rome. And this is a pretty standard interpretation. It's not uh, something strange or bizarre, right? Most of you have have, uh, heard this. Now, it's interesting. As I've been studying this, I, I discovered something. If you look closely at the seven headed, ten horned, Dragon in chapter 12, notice where are the crowns on this dragon-like beast? They're on the heads, not on the horns. And what that's telling us is that this is a, a nation, the Roman Empire, that was in the phase of rulership before its breakdown where the, where the rule passed over to the ten horns. Not yet. That's why the crowns are on the heads, not on the horns. Now, uh, turn to the next beast. Let's look at the next beast. Chapter 13, verse 1. I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns, 
and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Aha! Something interesting there. You see it? Where are the horn? Where are the crowns? They're not on the heads. They've moved to the horns. So we're going through phases from the heads to the horns. And this uh, this beast in chapter in verse two, it says the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth was as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Now this verse is another hyperlink. <laughs> it's linked to which chapter in the Old Testament? Daniel, 7. Daniel chapter seven. That's right, because Daniel seven talks about four beasts. A lion, a bear, a leopard, and a dragon-like beast. So just like chapter 17, 8 links us to chapter 13, 8, so chapter 13, verse 2 links us back to Daniel 7. This is another principle I've come up with, which, or I've, I've, uh, I've picked a, a term for it, and I call it the, Dan- the Daniel and Revelation principle. And that is that we need to understand these prophecies by comparing Daniel and Revelation. So this beast in chapter 13, the second one you see there in the middle, it is a combination creature of the beasts in Daniel 7. Body like a leopard, mouth like a lion, feet like a bear. And what that's telling us is that this beast in chapter 13, he incorporates different elements from Babylon. The lion represented Babylon. The bear was Persia. The leopard was Greece. And this beast now incorporates elements of Babylon, Persia, and Greece into its body, into its, uh, its system. And then where does he sit? It says the dragon, which would, in the light of Daniel 7, would be the, the fourth beast, which represented Rome. The Roman Empire gives to this new beast his power, and his seat of government. And where was his seat of government? Where was the seat of the government of the Roman Empire? It was in Rome, the city of seven hills. And now this seed of the dragon, representing Satan and pagan Rome, is now transferred to this new beast. See that? And uh, what that means is that When the Roman Empire collapsed, who rose up in the gap to sit there on the city of seven hills? It was papal Rome. That's right. It was the Roman Catholic Church system that was there in Rome. And then it ruled during the Dark Ages. And the reason why uh, this second beast has crowns on the horns, but not on the heads, is because the Roman church ruled through its fornication with the kings of Europe, which we talked about last night. Have I lost you or are you following me? Making sense? Okay, good. Yeah, this does make sense. So the first beast, the first dragon with seven heads and ten horns is Satan and imperial Rome, the Rome in the time of John. The second beast, Rome changed phases and went into the uh, papal phase. So we got the Roman Empire and the Roman Catholic Church. Roman Now, we're ready to go to the third beast. So let's go to chapter 17. And you know, when I, when I was, there was a time when I was studying this, and I noticed that the crowns were on the heads of the first, the dragon. And then I noticed that the crowns were on the horns in the second beast. And then I thought to myself, if, if, if I'm on the right track, if the Lord is leading my mind and I'm putting the pieces together correctly, which is what I want to do, then 
when I get to the third beast, there's not going to be any crowns on that third beast. And my heart started beating. And I slowly turned the pages of my Bible. I slowly turned to Revelation from 13 to 14 to 15 to 16 to 17. And I tell you, my, you know, I was, I was uh, excited and nervous to see what I would find. And I got to chapter 17, verse 3. He carried me away, away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting upon a scarlet colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. But notice what's not there. What isn't there? Crowns. There's no crowns. And that uh, gave me a clue among other clues that this is a phase, a new phase, but that it's not ruling yet. Now, notice something else in verse 3. He carried me away, away from John's day, in the spirit, into where? The wilderness. And I've thought about that. Now, actually, maybe I should back up a little bit. In verse 1, the angel came to John and talked with him and said, Come here. Come, come to me. He, the angel didn't say, I'm going to come to where you are in the first century, but I want you to come to where I am because I'm an end-time angel. I'm one of the angels that has the seven last plagues. So John is then carried away from his own time. And he goes into the wilderness. And I'm, I've concluded that when the angel said, I'm going to show you the judgment that's going to fall on this woman, that part of that judgment, not the full judgment, but part of that judgment has taken place because the woman is in the wilderness. No crowns. Now, the word wilderness is, is used three times in Revelation only. The other two times, there's two other times, and they're in the same chapter. Uh, they're in chapter 12. Back with the true woman. So we got the good woman and the bad woman. Now go back to chapter 12 and take a look at this. Where is the wilderness mentioned in chapter 12? It's mentioned twice. It's in verse... Six, that after the child was caught up to the throne, after, after Jesus went up to heaven, then the devil set his sights upon the woman because the child had escaped. So now it's time to go after the woman, which represented the, the people of God. And verse six says that the woman fled into, where'd she go? Into the wilderness. That's right. And she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. Okay, I've got a, got a question mark there on the screen. We're trying to figure out who is that third seven-headed beast. We know who the first one is, right? Imperial Rome. Clear on that? We know who the second one is? Papal Rome. We're clear on that? So what about the third one? Who is this? Okay, so we go to Revelation 12. I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 17. And we see the third beast in the wilderness. And then we go to chapter 12, where the dragon-like beast is going after the woman. And she flees into the wilderness for how long? 1260 days. Wilderness, 1260. And then we see verse uh, 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into where? The wilderness into her place where she is nourished for how long? For a time, times, and a half a time from the face of the serpent. So both of the, these verses about the wilderness in chapter 12 
talk about a time period where the woman, the true woman, we could say she's, she's down. She's been knocked down by the false woman working through the dragon during the 1260 years. Now we know from studying prophecy that the, that three, that the 1260 and the 42 months and the three and a half years are actually uh, a day for a year. And I've got a verse on that that I'll put in this, on the screen in a second. But let's go to chapter 13. Chapter 13 takes us to the second beast. And notice in verse 5, 13.5, there was given to him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy, and power was given to him to continue for how long? 42 months. That's right. The same time period. And many of you know this, that the 1260 days, the three and a half years, and the 42 months, this period is mentioned seven times in the Bible. It's in Daniel 7, about the rule of the little horn. It's in Daniel 12, that takes us till the time of the end, when knowledge increases. If you've read that, Daniel 12, verse 7 and verse 4, says knowledge will increase at the end of the three and a half years. Chapter 11 of Revelation, we have the same period mentioned. It's mentioned twice in chapter 12 when the woman is in the wilderness fleeing from the dragon. And it's mentioned once in chapter 13 in verse 5. So this period of three and a half years, which is the same as 42 months, which is the same as 1260 days, this period is mentioned seven times in the Bible. It's a major prophetic period, isn't it? It's major. It's not minor. It's, it's a big one. Now, let me put the verse that I just mentioned quickly for, for some of you watching online or those that may watch this recording in the future. Uh, Ezekiel 4.6 and Numbers 14.34 says that, that God has given a day for a year. And Protestant scholars in the time of the Reformation, for 400 years, they understood this principle rock solid. And it's called the day for a year principle that in Bible prophecy, when we're dealing with these timelines, that a day represents a year. Uh, That principle is well established in Daniel chapter 9, where we have a 70-week period that starts with the time of Persia and comes down to the coming of the Messiah. And it's 70 weeks when you do day for a year. It comes out to 490 days, which is 490 years from the time of Persia all the way down to the coming of Jesus. And that uh, principle is rock solid. It's not speculative. We're dealing with a day for a year prophecy. Very, very clear. And that period is in chapter 12 and chapter 13. Now, it started... A lot of history behind this, but it started in the year 538 when the Eastern Emperor in in the fourth century, Constantine came to the throne. Then he moved his his, uh, seat of government to Constantinople, called it Constantinople. He moved east and that left a big vacuum in Europe, the vacuum in the west. And as time went on, the Roman church rose up into that gap, became more and more powerful. The Roman church leaders fornicated with uh, Constantine and Clovis, who helped establish its power, and finally with Justinian. And when I say fornicate, I'm using the biblical language. It, it united with uh, legislative power. And in 538, the, the Eastern Emperor Justinian issued a decree that gave the Pope total power in the West. And that started the 1260-year timeline, 538. It's a solid date. Uh, Whitehorse Media has a book uh, called 538 Source Book, and you can do all. You can look at all the original documentation of what was going on in 538 to establish the historical validity of that date. And if you go down 1260 years. From 538, it takes you to what year? 1798. And, we, and Whitehorse Media has another book 
uh, and it's called the uh, 1798 and 1843 source book. And it deals with historical, original sources validating what happened in 1798. What happened was, uh, it was the time of the French Revolution. And the French were tired of uh, Catholic rule and all the, the butchery like St. Bartholomew's massacre and the persecution of the Huguenots and all the things that happened. And so they finally rebelled against Rome and against God. They threw out the baby with the bathwater. And they just got rid of all religion in the French Revolution. Uh, it resulted in the reign of terror. It was a disaster, a bloody disaster. Napoleon came on the scene, and one of his armies under the control of Berthier went into Rome in Italy in February of 1798 and took the Pope captive, sent him into exile, Pope Pius VI, and that was... Uh, that was when the church was knocked out of power, 1798. Now, notice that date. I'm going to push my button here, and let's see if I got some fireworks there. Oh, yeah. See those fireworks? 1798. The woman was knocked out of power. Right? Very significant uh, moment in history. And that was the beginning of the time of the end. So now go back to ch chapter 17. Chapter 17. Why is the woman in the wilderness? In chapter 17, verse 3. Why do the, are there no crowns on the heads or the horns of the, of the scarlet beast in chapter 17? Why do you think that is? Put the pieces together. The reason is because she's been knocked out of power. The judgment has, begin, has begun to fall upon her. Not completely yet, that's still coming, but she's under judgment, she's in the wilderness, she has no crowns, the beast has no crowns on the heads or the horns, during the Dark Ages, the true woman was down and the false woman was on top. In 1798, there's a reversal. And the false woman goes down. And who's rising? The true woman of Revelation 12, after 1798, she rises. And it's time for God to give her the three angels' messages to give to the world. Are you with me? Yeah. 1798. Oh, I already did this. I've got my eyeball there. We've already looked and noticed that there's no crowns on the heads or the horns. So based on this, I interpret... The uh, seven-headed, ten-horned beast in Revelation 17 to be papal Rome in its wounded state. And it was wounded in 1798. But that wound is not permanent. As we already know, the wound is going to be healed. And we'll see that as we keep reading in chapter 17 later on tonight. Now, uh, let me, I've got just a little few more minutes here. Let me try to put these pieces together as quickly as I can. Some people ask, well, if the woman is the Roman Catholic Church, how can the beast, the seven-headed, ten-horned red beast, how can that be the Roman Catholic Church as well, in a wounded state. How can they both apply to papal Rome? Is that a good question? Here's a, here's a good answer. A good answer is, when you look at Daniel and Revelation, like Daniel 2, we have 
a head of gold which has a human face on the metal man. But in Daniel 7, Babylon is represented as a beast, right? In Daniel 2, it's a head of gold with a human face. But in Daniel 7, it's the same nation, Babylon, but it's now a beast. And we see this back and forth, back and forth. In Daniel and Revelation, we have Babylon being called, represented by a man or a metal man's head, Babylon being represented by a beast. And I've concluded that in Revelation 17, it's perfectly consistent that we have a composite imagery where it really, the Roman Catholic Church has two faces. It has a human face, the female face, the harlot face, and yet it also has a beast face. It's it's composite imagery. It's both. And I think the evidence totally supports that when you put the pieces together. Now, uh, as we're just about, okay, I, I, I can see my time's up, but I'm just going to go a little bit longer and wrap this up. Now notice, and this is what we're going to study about tonight. Tonight, we're going to look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, there are seven kings. Five of them have fallen. One of them is, and the other one has not yet come. And when he comes, he's going to continue for how long? For a short space. Now, here's the big issue, which we'll get to tonight. And that is, at what point do we go back and say, from this point, five have fallen? And at what point is there one that is? And, it, and then we can see what's coming where the seventh one hasn't come yet and he's coming for a little while. We've got to have that point nailed down, don't we? Because if you don't know, you know, what point you're looking back and what point you're in and where you're going, it's impossible to understand this chapter. And doesn't Daniel's prophecy say that we will understand in the time of the end? And when did the time of the end begin? 1798. That's right. And we're going to build on this tonight. Now, last verse. Last verse. And then we'll get to part three. Hope you'll be here as the investigation continues to try to put the pieces together. 178 says, the beast that you saw, he was in the past. He is not at the point of this chapter. And he will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell upon the earth shall wonder, whose names are not written in the book of life. And whose book is that? From chapter 13, verse 8, we know it's Jesus' book. It's the Lamb's book of life. And they will wonder, because their name and their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, from the foundation of the world, when they behold that beast that was and is not and yet is. I want to leave this point with you as we close. And that is this, that there's nothing more important than having our names in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing more important when the whole world follows the beast, when he comes back in all his power, ascending out of the pit, getting ready to go into perdition, and the whole world is mystified and wondering after this power, God wants a people who don't go along with this because they are followers of Jesus, right? They're true followers of Jesus Christ and they give their lives to him and he writes 
their names, name by name, your name, my name, in his book, that we are true followers of Jesus Christ in the final hours of earth's history. And I want to be, I want my name in the book. Don't you? I want Steve Wahlberg written up there. So when Jesus comes, I've got a place in the kingdom. And that's what you need, and that's what I need. And the way to have your name in the book is to humble yourself, confess your sins, give your life to Jesus, trust him as your personal savior, that he will forgive you, give you the Holy Spirit, give you a mind that has wisdom, and give you strength to live for him and to go through what's coming when the whole world follows the beast. Got it? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb, we come to you at the end of this message, this mysterious message about the seven-headed, ten-horned beasts in, in Revelation 12, 13, and 17. And Lord, we're told in chapter 17 that at some point, the whole world's going to follow that beast who was and is not, but is going to come back. And Lord, we don't want to follow that power. We don't want to be deceived by the harlot or the beast. We want our names in your book. So please forgive our sins. Revive us. Give us the Holy Spirit. Help us to realize the times in which we live and to get ready for what's coming and to trust Jesus as our Savior. Lord, bless us all, we pray. Thank you for the privilege of sharing your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.